Good morning, and I too greet you in Jesus' name, and I too welcome the visitors in our service this morning. We're glad you're here, glad you chose to be here this morning, and we welcome you back uh, at any time. Turn with me to the book of James again, if you would. I don't know how many of you noticed, but uh, our Sunday school lessons are going to be uh, pulling from the book of James 2 this next quarter. And uh, that's okay. Um, I don't have to speak about the things the Sunday school book uh, talks about, so we can, uh, I think we can both work around that. And I don't really intend to, uh, um, well, let's put it this way. I'd like to read verse 17 out of James chapter 1, and then we'll go from there. So let's read verse 17 at this time, James 1. Every good gift and every Perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now that verse fits into a much larger context that we talked about a few months ago, when James, uh, in the first chapter here, uh, talks about the trials that face the people of his day and face us today. And um, if you remember... As we worked through this idea of trials and, and tests, uh, I had um, I had uh, suggested that perhaps we we don't look at trials and tests uh, sometimes the way we should, but perhaps they can be a good and perfect gift that we don't even realize at the time. Uh, later on, looking back, we maybe see it that way. What I would like to look at this morning is basically the last phrase. This thing of variableness and shadows of turning, and I've entitled the message, The Shadow of Turning. Again, in context, James is writing to what he calls the 12 tribes that are scattered about. Uh, Very early in church history here, and most likely the 12 tribes that he's referring to are the Jewish Christians that have been scattered because of persecution that had come uh, there in Jerusalem. And you remember the uh, the stoning of Stephen and so on, and and the and the church was scattered, and Paul was chasing them at that time, and I have a feeling that the people that he was writing to at this time did feel like their life was a bit variable, and they felt like there was a few shadows of turning that was taking place, and I have a feeling that perhaps they struggled a bit with feeling that God had somewhat dropped them off along the way. Um, you know, and uh, they were kind of on their own. I don't know how much of that they grappled with, but but James is reassuring them that that the God they served, there was absolutely no changing. This this was all well within his control and within the box of his plan. And even though they felt things were a little out of control and the turning was very pronounced in their life, uh, really, it, it it wasn't the way they saw it. I think is what James was was trying to uh, to say. I think we as humans uh, don't vary very much in this area. Um, we don't like sudden and dramatic shifts on our life's journey, do we? Or maybe we do. Maybe you're different, but I don't exactly enjoy that. I like things to be a little bit predictable. And uh, in a lot of ways, predictability and stability is where we kind of thrive in life. Um, 
I had to think of the uh, the social services and the, the foster uh, children's program that we have in our country. And uh, it's not unknown to those folks that deal with those things that to be constantly pulling children out of one home and tossing them into the next and this this one after the next thing of living in different homes, even though the homes may be um, in some ways okay, that lack of stability, that lack of, um, of um, yeah, just being there for a, a long period of time and finding and, and being able to plug roots down into the to the circumstances they find themselves in is very disconcerting to children, and, and they do not thrive well in that in that environment. And uh, and I'm suggesting that we probably thrive the best in somewhat of a predictable and stable environment. However, change happens, doesn't it? It just does. And um, sometimes we call these things a turn of events. You know, we had a turn of events, you know, and um, and things didn't turn out quite the way uh, we anticipated them. And that's not always bad. Sometimes the turn of events that we have, we, we're okay with it. Sister Danella, you know, had a turn of events on Friday, I think it was, when she had her mother pitched a little birthday party for her, and I don't think she was expecting that. And um, so it was a turn of events, but I have a feeling that it wasn't something she's chafing at or having problems dealing with, you know. So you have those things in life, or maybe you get a, a pay raise or, or something like that. We can deal with that. But what about if it's uh, sickness or financial reverses or a death of a loved one or a personal disappointment of some sort? Um, that's when we we have to deal with it, don't we? That's when we are tempted to chafe at it and um, and just not quite sure how to deal with this. But again, James is assuring his audience, and he and I think this extends to us today that we can live in a state of peace. Because with God, there is no surprises. And even when we are surprised, and we are faced with life issues that we really wish we could avoid, and uh, and so on, it's all planned. It's all planned. It's all inside of God's providence. And we can, if we embrace that idea, we can bring purpose and meaning to our life, even though we do have shadows of turning. question I had is, is it even possible to live a life of predictability and stability with the with the constant presence of the fickle changes that life brings to us with with pretty much regularity at times it seems and that's where we have to find something deeper to anchor into and find our um, our stability in and that that person is God one of the most challenging changes that we face as people, I'm going to suggest, is when people that we love dearly or people of great influence and people that we have come to value and respect uh, in one way or another are for one reason or another suddenly removed from our lives. And that leaves a hole. And sometimes that hole can be replaced with another person and sometimes it seems like the hole lingers there for a while. And um, we find this to be a reality when a person loses, say, a spouse or something like that. We even find it in, in things as, 
as fickle as national elections. Um, you know, you watch the stock market whenever the election uh, comes, rolls around every four years, and the thing gets a little topsy-turvy because, um, well, people just aren't quite sure how this is all going to turn out, and so the the um, the shakiness of the thing comes out in, in things just as, as silly as, you know, the stock market and so on, or maybe the housing market or something like that. It'll strengthen or soften uh, just based on people's perceptions of how it's all going to turn out. They either look at it with apprehension or they uh, look at it with anticipation. Now, I'm saying all that to say this, that it's not lost to you all that our church has gone through a bit of a of a shadow of turning this past week. Uh, we, we all anticipated it, and it happened, and we're on this side of it now. And, that, and, and I'm referring to the fact that uh, Brother Dennis and Sister Mary Sue aren't, aren't here this morning, and they won't be here next Sunday, probably. And uh, we, we are going to learn to live life without them in the future. And I think we, uh, we understand that... Um, they were a very constant and welcome and consistent presence in our lives for the last 28 years, and um, they are no longer here with us. So, we as a church are on the cusp of somewhat of a different era, and that is an era that we are going to learn to, to, uh, to do church to uh, to be in our church here, in our congregation, without Dennis Martin and his family. And if it's any consolation to you, and I think it should be, I think we can all take heart in the fact that this isn't the first time such a thing has taken place in the course of history. Um, the Bible is has a number of examples of people that had their day, they fulfilled their mission, they put in their time, and yet, when you read through like books like First uh, and Second Kings and Chronicles and so on, often you will find, especially uh, with the kings there, it says that they died and they slept with their fathers. That was it. That was the end of their tenure. But time continued on without them. Even though um, many times their influence continued, they weren't there. And their influence waned as time moved on, obviously. But every time this happened, there was a period of adjustment. And sometimes this worked well and sometimes it didn't. But the differences in the way it worked out never meant that God wasn't there. Um, God was always there and God's plan was always the same. And behind those shadows of turning, um, God had his will. And that the will he had there for the, for the children of Israel, he worked it out. Despite all the different twistings and turnings and captivities and and less than stellar people that he had to work with, his will was accomplished. And he was never surprised with anything that ever happened. And everything always happened right on time. So for the remainder of our of our time this morning, I'd like to turn to First Kings for just um, a little bit of a uh, maybe some encouragement and some um, some things we can learn from um, a story here, an account here in First Kings chapter 19. This uh, this particular account that I'd like to look at is is the is the transition of the time when Elijah's the prophet Elijah's time was running out, 
and the prophet Elisha was going to take his place. And uh, I think there's some things here we can learn from the from these events that surrounded um, these prophets' um, time together. I'm going to read First uh, Kings chapter 19, verse 16. And if you remember here with me, what what has happened here is is we had the the Mount Carmel experience there with Elijah, and then. Um, um, Elisha gets, or Elijah gets a little depressed and he runs off and, and he, and he, and he sets in a cave there and, and, uh, God finds him and has a conversation with him. And he gives him a few instructions. And in verse 16 of chapter 19 is, uh, is some of these instructions. He says, And Jehu the son of Nimshai, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat, the son of Shaphat of Abel Mo, Mohola shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. Now drop down to verse 19. So he, Elijah, Elijah departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them, boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people when they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So I'd like to just pull a couple of points out of this scripture and then we're going to uh, turn to Second Kings for a few more points. So the first point I'd like to pull out of verse 16 And it's simply this, as humans and as the children of God, we have to anticipate that our mortal existence, our time on earth, is going to come to an end at some point, but the cause that we are a part of will continue. It's going to be beyond our time, and that we must be willing to prepare another generation that follows us to carry on what we believe in. Well, that's a long and arduous and tedious point, but that... The point of it is, we're all mortal. Uh, we're all into a cause, no matter how good or bad it is, and hopefully we're in a good one here. And um, at some point, we're not going to be here to, to, to make that happen anymore. This this is embraced by everyone in some way. Um, you have wills, you have trusts, you have businesses that train people to take up the, uh, the cause of the business and so on. That's just a, a confirmation of the point I just made. Things, things come to an end. We come to an end of pe- as people. And that's also the reason we do the things we do in church life. We all know that we're fallible, and we know that it is imperative to prepare the next generation to carry on the work and to set people in place to carry out that responsibility once we are no longer here. And so the challenge is, what are you and I doing today to encourage and promote the future generations that we influence to pick up the cause and fight the good fight that we believe in? Does the future generation know our heartbeat and our values? There's always a possibility that we don't let go or we can't let go or we refuse to let go or we, we don't allow the next generation to carry on the load, to help us carry the load. So I would like to encourage us to to um, engage 
intergenerationally and to gradually transfer the load to the next generation. We have to do that because we're all going to we're all going to hit the end someday. And I think we need to uh, just uh, grasp that reality. If you look down at verses uh, 19 and 20, then we have um, Elijah doing exactly what he was instructed to do. And he goes and he finds Elisha. And at this point, I'd like to shift my my attention to Elisha here for a minute. And I, I would like to point out, the second point I'd like to make is that we have to make personal needed adjustments to carry our share of the load when that time comes that the people that carried it are no longer here. Now, I'm just impressed with this little, these few verses here about Elisha. It tells us something, a good deal about the man. Apparently, he was a fairly uh, well-to-do and, and big-time farmer. Um, I didn't notice this until I was reading this uh, here in preparation for this talk, that it says that he was he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he with the 12. Now, I always read over that and thought that Elisha had 12 oxen yoked together in some way, uh, and he had this big, what do you call uh, oxen when they're all hooked together, you call it a team of horses, that is a team of oxen, I don't know what it is. But anyway, in my mind, that's how I pictured it. Twelve yoke, Elisha's there with his plow, and he's plowing. But I, it does, if you think about it, it doesn't really read that way. There was twelve yoke of oxen. I think a better way to picture this is probably twelve different people with twelve different yoke of oxen all running twelve different plows. And he with the twelfth, it says. All right. So Elisha was a man that was out there apparently with his people that was plowing the field, and he wasn't afraid to get out there and plow with the, with the last yoke of oxen, apparently. But I also would guess that to have 12 yoke of oxen and 12 plows was perhaps a, a, a fairly big-time uh, enterprise in that time. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know that. But it seems like it could have been. But anyway, it feels like that he was a content man, and he was a diligent man, and he was a farmer for whatever that was worth. But God had a new plan for him, and he he gave that that plan to him through the prophet Elijah. And I'm just impressed with his commitment. Um, he says to Elijah, he said, well, can I go back and kiss my father and mother first? Elijah said, sure, go ahead. He said, I didn't tell you you couldn't do that. He said, go ahead, go back and do that if you need to do that. So he did that, he went back. And then it says that he came back, and he apparently... Uh, made a bonfire out of his plow. That's how it would read. It says the instruments he burned up, and it almost would appear that he had a barbecue out of his oxen there. And he fed the other eleven uh, plowers. Apparently, the people that were there, and I'm I'm assuming it was the people that were plowing. So when Elijah was Elisha was done, he was done. I mean, he barbecued the oxen. He used the plow for the for the charcoal. And it was all over. There was no coming back and plowing for, for Elisha here. I think his commitment and his flexibility to this calling is noteworthy and profound and does reflect a commitment to God that I think started long before that day when he was plowing in that field. I just feel like um, this wasn't a new thought to Elisha. Uh, Elisha was a man that um, was committed in, in in a different way before this day, but in this day he received a different calling and he was quite willing to follow that. 
But it was all under the auspices of the God he served and the God that he believed in. It's not like that it was wrong for him to plow up to that day. It's just that he had a, he had a different thing he was supposed to do that, that particular day that Elijah came by. I had to think of the, uh, of the verses that in Luke 14, where Jesus had a few things to say to uh, his disciples that day. He said, if any man comes to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, and you could put in and boyfriend and girlfriend and home and you fill in the blank. It's not that Jesus stopped there because he ran out of things to hate. And I should just, I should just, um, interject here that I, I think we, we all know that the word hate in the King James Version doesn't mean to despise. It just means that in, in this verse, it means that if you don't love me more than these things, that's basically what he's saying. And then he goes on to say, and yea, and your own life also. If you don't love me more than all these things and your own life, you can't be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And I don't know if we totally grasp sometimes exactly what is being asked of us here. I had to think of this. Could Elisha have said to Elijah, well, you know what? Um, I really enjoy my farming here. I really like this yoke of oxen. Um, could I be a seasonal prophet? It would be a chance that we could just do this in the wintertime, maybe. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll come back and I'll plow and do my farming here. But I'll be around every winter there for you, Elijah. Elijah. Could have you done that? I don't know. It's kind of a... It's kind of immaterial to dwell on that. What I want to point out, though, is is that I believe Elisha very well fit the bill of what Jesus calls for us as New Testament saints to do. He saw that he saw where he was needed, and he moved and he moved into that spot. The point I'd like to make out of this is that following Jesus will at times require some adjustment, and I think that's where we find ourselves today a place where we are going to have to make some adjustment. As I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago at, uh, when we had our farewell here for Dennis, uh, Dennis was a man that had a lot of abilities. Um, we all enjoyed having, having him around, and we all probably are a, uh, have benefited from those abilities in one way or the other. Um, he had a lot of woodworking skills. He had some inherent wisdom that comes with age and experience. He was a man that was always present at church functions, and uh, the list goes on. But now the question and challenge for you and I, are we willing to step in and take up the slack? Um, not any one of us can fill that hole completely. I certainly can't, because I'll, I'll never be able to do the things that Dennis did. But I, have a, I, I know that collectively we can uh, collectively, I think we can fill that gap that Dennis has left. But it's going to require a bit of adjustment. It's going to require a bit more commitment from all of us. And that is what uh, I would like to, to challenge us to this morning. Can we commit to that? I'd also like to, uh, to uh, challenge us along these lines a little further. In somewhat the near future, as I've mentioned in the past, and, and I will remind you, you know, we as a church 
will be needing to call another brother into church leadership. And we'll discuss that more in the coming weeks and months. We will. But each of us needs to be asking the question right now, do I have that kind of commitment to the cause of Christ that I am willing to make that adjustment should I be the person that is called? When we are committed to the kingdom of God, we find that our goals transcend our jobs, our ambitions, and our hobbies. And these terrestrial changes can be gracefully faced with quiet confidence because God does not change. And hopefully we wish to be a part of an eternal program. We embrace the shadow of turning because we realize that we are being led by a hand that has prepared us for that turn. Point number three. I would like to uh, look at the very last sentence there in verse 21. Then he, Elisha, arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. I did a little digging into the... uh, into the time period between this point in time and the time that Elijah was taken up in the uh, chariot of fire. And as near as I can tell, there was about five years elapsed in that, in that time period. So there was, a, there was a season here where these two men served concurrently, but it calls Elisha the minister of Elijah. And the point I would like to make is this was wisdom. This was wisdom here to have a concurrent ministry between these two men. And that's always going to be best when transitions are the mentor and the apprentice working side by side for a season. And again, I I would just point out to you the obvious that businesses know that, other organizations know that, and hopefully we as a church know that as well. We did that for a bit here. I wish it could have been a bit longer. Last summer, Dennis was telling me that he plans to look in earnest for a house this summer. That was his, that was his goal for the summer of 2021, was to look for a house in Michigan. Well, that, that really got sped up when, uh, he, he went over last fall, as we all know, and found himself a house, and he no longer is looking for a house in Michigan. He's there. And, uh, I would have wished to help him here a bit longer, and I have a feeling that most of you would have too. But that's where we find ourselves. Um, But I think we need to keep this concept in mind as we go forward. That in a church, it's it's wise if we don't hit a stalemate where we just grow stagnant and we just bump along and we don't think about the future. We don't think about the wisdom of having people serve concurrently so that there can be a, a smooth transition when the time comes. I was talking to a brother here this week about, uh, he was talking about in his church how they're going to uh, have an ordination here, and, and he, he made the point that for a time their church is going to be a little top-heavy, but he said it has to be top-heavy for a season because he said all of us oldsters are going to disappear at the same time. And he said we don't want to have everything go from old to new all in a year. And, and there was a lot of wisdom to that. I, I understand where he's coming from. So I'd like to challenge us, let's, uh, let's not be selfish or self-centered or ignore the realities of what needs to be done for good transitions from one generation to the next, just because we just resist change. We just don't like change, so we resist that. 
Uh, let's, re let's release those personal preferences for the good of a much greater cause. Now turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2 for just, uh, uh, just a few more points here. And this is the, um, this is the chapter where Elijah comes to a place where he is taken away and this is the, the events leading up to that. I'm going to, uh, read the first five verses here at this time. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elijah and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold thy peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee. For the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets were at Jericho, that were at Jericho, came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. Now let's go over to verse 11. And it came to pass, as they went still on and talked, there, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and the horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. The point I would like to make here out of this, these few verses that I just read is that it is understandable, I believe, for times like these, times of transition, as, as these two prophets went through here and we are currently going through, that they can be times of conflicting feelings. And that's exactly what I see here in the prophet Elisha. Um, twice, Elijah said, don't you just want to stay here, Elisha? And Elisha says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tag along if you don't mind. I'm coming with you. And twice, the prophets at Bethel and the prophets, or the sons of the prophets at Bethel and the sons of the prophets at Jericho came out and said, Hey, Elisha, you understand that Elijah's not going to be here later on the day? And he's like, I get it. Can you just calm down. Just hold your peace. I, I get that. And he keeps tagging along with uh, Elisha and they have this conversation that we didn't read here. But um, when the time came, the final moments came and Elijah was taken away, it says that Elisha saw it and he cried. And it says he rent his clothes. I have a feeling that Elisha was struggling with things that he couldn't understand. He, uh, he got it. He understood that Elijah was going to be taken away that day. And yet when it actually happened, he found it very, very difficult to deal with. To the point that it says that he rent his clothes and uh, tore them into two pieces. I had to think of the disciples. They faced similar feelings during the traumatic events surrounding the crucifixion and the announcement from Jesus that he wouldn't be with them much longer. 
Paul had similar things when he journeyed to Jerusalem. He, uh, he encountered some very emotional circumstances at Ephesus and, and different of his friends along the way. They kept saying, Paul, it's not a good idea for you to go to, um, to Jerusalem. You're gonna, you're gonna be martyred. That's what's gonna happen to you there. There's gonna be some things befall you that are not good. But Paul journeyed on leaving his friends to grapple with feelings that I think were quite conflicting because on one side they knew what uh, what was wanted and what could be anticipated, and yet they wished so badly it wouldn't have to happen. But we're human. We talked about that a bit in the Sunday school lesson with Martha there and, and the passing of her brother and the very human feelings that she had to deal with. And I think that's that's what we deal with as humans. We We face circumstances at times that... If we could change, we would change. But um, I, f- I think it should be comforting to us that, as the Hebrew writer puts it, we have a high priest, and that high priest is Jesus, as we all know, that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He understands the feelings that we grapple with. And uh, I don't think it's necessarily all bad that we do grapple with these feelings, because why do we have feelings of regret or, or sort of sadness or chagrin? Why do we grapple with that? Well, it's actually a testament to the fact that we've had a good run. It's been a good 28 years, and, and we wish it wouldn't have to end. And so it's it's in that way, I think it's good. But on the other hand, we can't live in the past, or we can't relive the past. Those things are, are gone. And we can't let our emotions hold us down from embracing the future. And so we, we are compelled to move on. I guess I'm, I'm kind of interested in the Old Testament, different men that died, Joshua and Moses for two, and there's probably more. It said when these men died, it said that the, the nation of Israel mourned for 30 days, and then they moved on. And it's just interesting how that, I don't know what happened on day 31, I guess you just got up and, and, and moved on or what, I'm not sure. But, um, but you know, there was that time that was totally okay to grieve what we wish wouldn't have had to have been, but it was. And um, and so I guess I would just like to encourage us to, it's okay to feel a bit a bit of perhaps sadness about the, the event, but we need to move on beyond that. The, uh, the next point I would like to, to bring out is in verse 14 and 15. We're going to read those verses now. And he, that is Elisha, took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the God of Elijah? And when he had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets, which were to to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest upon Elisha. And they came both to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. The point I'd like to make here is that the God of Elijah was also the God of Elisha. And God performed his will through both of these men just as he needed them to do so. God had a plan for Elijah. He had a plan for Elisha. And he had a plan for the sons of the prophet, I might add as well. Now, he could have uh, he could have performed his will, I am certain, without any of these men. He could have. But he chose to use them. That was his choice. That was God's will. 
God's will will always be accomplished through willing people that understand the need to be used where you're called in the kingdom of God. People come and go. We mentioned that before. Through the generations, they put their in their allotted time, their allotted talents, and then they pass the baton to the next generation. I had to think of the account in, in Matthew 25 where Jesus gave the much the very familiar parable of the man that was allotted ten talents, one was allotted five, and one was allotted one. And each one of those men were responsible to use the talents that they were allotted to the fullest, and they were judged according to the opportunities and to the to the 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 best use they had put those talents to. And I guess, you know, very practically speaking, um, maybe a bit redundant here, but Dennis and his family gave a lot to this church, and we were beneficiaries of it. But their time is over, but God is still here, and there's still work to be to be done. The question I have to ask myself is, and I want you to ask yourself, are you and I giving our best and using our talents that we've been given? Do I value the church and what we represent here? And am I supporting it to the best of my ability? Every noteworthy person through the annals of time, I would suggest, in God's program, gave themselves wholly to a bigger cause than themselves. This was not Elijah's program, and this was not Elisha's program. It was not. They both knew that, and they functioned in that reality. And they are not famous because they are Elijah or Elisha. They are famous because they were humble servants in the kingdom of God, and they fulfilled their respective callings to the best of their ability. This church here has seen numbers of leaders come and go. And there's one thing that's a constant in all of that. Every one of them were human. Every one of them contributed what they had. And not, not any of them was like the one before them. Every one of them had their unique giftings and approaches. And mostly, I'd like to emphasize, not one of them was indispensable. And neither are you or I. All of us are dispensable. Very influential men run their course in history, and eventually somebody else takes their place. And no matter how large the footprint they leave, and some leave quite a large footprint, the point always comes where they will cease to have a direct impact. And as I mentioned before, even though they may cast a shadow a long way down in the, in the coming generations, and they can impact a lot longer than maybe we think. Their direct impact becomes less and less and less and less as time moves on. It's no, it's no, um, it's no secret to you that I, I enjoy reading church history. That's, I enjoy that. I learn a lot from that. And I was uh, in a church, uh, I think it was just this past fall, where I asked the audience how many people could tell me who Daniel Kaufman was. And I got two or three hands. That's okay. The reason of that is it's been 100 years or pushing it since he had a very direct influence on our Mennonite church. But in his day, he had a very huge impact on our church. And the point I'm making is that no matter how great and influential a person is, his time will come to an end. It, it will. 
So the challenge for you and I today is, am I deeply committed to God and the program of his church? Am I contributing with my talents in every way that I can? Now, the next question I'd like you to ask yourself, and I should ask myself, would my brothers and sisters agree with my answer when they observe my contribution? Would they? And then I should ask myself the question, what would this church look like if everyone gave the same support and contribution that I give the church? Which I would like to remind quickly, the church is not man's idea, it's God's. It's God's idea. And that is not an exercise of comparing ourselves among ourselves. It's simply being honest. Am I giving? Am I giving all that I can? Am I If I have ten talents, am I using all ten? If I have one, am I using that one to the best of my ability? The last point I would like to make this morning comes from verse 3 and 5 of chapter 2. In these two verses, it talks about the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel and the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho. And I would be interested... If you know who these sons of the prophets were, um, only during the times of Elisha and Elijah are the sons of the prophets mentioned. And these men, uh, as near as I can tell, that's all we know about. There's really no description given of, of what their purpose was or what they did or, or exactly why they were called the sons of the prophets. It's, it's Pretty, it's pretty safe to assume that not every one of them had a prophet for their dad, okay? So it wasn't like they were sons of prophets because they were biologically the son of some prophet somewhere. It probably means more that they were a group of, of committed men that had a very um, sharp, razor-focused goal on serving God in a very specific way. It almost seemed like they lived um, somewhat communally and... Um, one thing I have deducted is, is, is you read through and when this thing of the sons of the prophets come up, there, there seems to be a very mutual um, benefit to the prophet, whether it's Elijah or Elisha, and the sons of the prophets. It seems like there was a mutual benefit um, that went both ways. And you probably know where I'm going with that. You know, the the the... The um, ministries of Elijah and Elisha um, relied at times on these sons of the prophets uh, to be uh, supporters of them. And we need that today too, don't we? We need to support each other. And I want to thank you for the support that I have felt from you. And I certainly trust that my life has been a mutual blessing to you as well. And we need to keep it that way. We need to have mutual respect and support in a brotherhood or things will fall apart very, very quickly. And I think the future of our congregation relies largely on our commitment and our accountability and understanding of God, first of all, but closely joined at the hip, I would suggest, is our commitment and accountability to each other and the love and respect that we choose to extend to each other. And I feel like that This church will go far if we have that, and it will stall and spin if it does not. In conclusion, let's turn to Isaiah 33. There's some very, very 
uh, encouraging verses in, in Isaiah 33 that I would like to read here. Thirty-three and verse five and six. The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times, and strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. I'm going to read that in a different version. It might be a little bit of Easier to understand. It goes like this. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion. And I'm going to suggest this morning that Zion, we could easily put in the word church. And it would make, it is doing no injustice to the scriptural. Because I believe the the uh, New Testament Zion is the church. So he has filled the church with justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundations for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of God is the key to this treasure. You want stability in our times? You, you want to, uh, to uh, mitigate the uh, shadows of turning as much as possible? Find yourself right here in this verse. Put your, put your roots down deep into the fear of the Lord. Tap into the rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge that he offers and the justice and righteousness that comes from being a part of a much larger group, and that that is called the church. And we're going to find a lot of stability for our times. Going back to our our text, our text verse originally in, in James there. You know, as I mentioned, we currently find ourselves experiencing a shadow of turning. But I want to emphasize that's all it is. It's just a shadow. Can we embrace it as a potential gift? Can we use this time to draw ourselves closer together? Can we use this as a time to resolve to do more? To give more of myself? I think we can. I think we are. And I would like to encourage us as we move forward from here. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a turn. It's, it's some variableness here, some things that maybe we wish weren't, but they are. But God is still there, and uh, he promises to give us stability for our times as well, and I think we can experience that. Let's kneel for prayer.